listening to the Red Seat Podcast. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Featuring Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood. Sale winds. He fires. Swing and a miss. Back play. It's over. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today joining me for episode 303 of the show is Bob Osgood of Over the Monster. Bob, how you doing, man? Good, Jake. It's a new year, and uh, all of the signings and trades are in the past, and we've got a good feel for all the rosters throughout the MLB, ready for the season. That's right, that's right. Really picked up. Yep, we've got a whole lot to talk about today on the show. Uh, Keaton will not be joining us, he's on a a hot romantic date right now, but um, if you want to send us some emails, (laughs) you can do so at redseatpodcast at gmail.com, and... uh, you know, don't send us any love letters, though, unless they're addressed to Keaton. You can do that. Um, but let's get right into it. A lot has happened, and probably the biggest move that has happened since the last time we spoke was Mauricio Yovera being DFA'd by the Red Sox, uh, you know, one of the most notorious junk ballers in MLB history, Mauricio Yovera uh, DFA'd. Bob, what's your big reaction to this headliner move? I just know if I miss a podcast, I'm never going to tell you the reason for it after that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know this was your boy. Was it the two L's to start his name? Like, what what was it that bothered you so much about Mauricio Yovera? It was, uh, you've just been attacking him for six months, and he wasn't, like, the worst reliever of all time. I don't know what it was. It was definitely an irrational hatred. I think it was like he kind of filled the... Uh... Ryan Brazier void for me after Brazier left and became good again, like we all knew he was going to do. So, yeah, I'm sure he's like a a nice guy or whatever, but Yovera, it's just hilarious. Um, But obviously, we're kidding. This move doesn't mean anything. Um, You know, he's just the guy who they cleared off the 40 man to make room for Lucas Giolito, who we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. But the Red Sox did start off uh, this, I guess it was, what was it? A, a week ago now it's not even a full week but Red Sox uh, completed a very unexpected trade by sending Chris Sale to the Atlanta Braves in exchange for Vaughn Grissom uh, Sale had just one year left on his deal there's some options there and stuff like that and some uh, some uh, innings totals that he can hit to qualify for another year but essentially it's a one year guaranteed left on his deal Grissom has six years of control left, and Breslow says that he expects Grissom to be the everyday second baseman uh, moving forward, which solves one of my uh, New Year's resolutions from last time, that the Red Sox won't have a revolving door at second base. So, you know, Bob, let's talk about Grissom here. What What's your impression of Grissom, and uh, what was your reaction to the trade? Yeah, we talked just a week ago about not having a revolving door at second and also trying to find some reliable innings and at bats. And that's actually happened at two different positions since we last talked. Um, Yeah, it was a pretty shocking trade out of nowhere. I mean, we knew that 
there were some offers for Chris Sale at the deadline um, last summer that uh, High and Bloom did not go forward with, and now Craig Breslow, really not having any ties to any players here, is starting to make some moves. And with Grissom, you know, it's the, the six years of control, and it just, in the, you know, if you look at this move in a vacuum, it's a move that you, it's just good business in general. We knew what the second base market looked like, we knew that there was a hole there, uh, that Whit Merrifield was really the only free agent option, and if they didn't like them, and I, him and I know that a lot of people did not like Whit Merrifield as the move, especially if it was more than one year, which is understandable, then we tried to get creative with different trade targets. That was one area that we did think that had a good chance of, of there being a trade, and there was, just not the name that we were expecting. And, you know, with Grissom, he was just blocked in Atlanta and it makes a lot of sense because he's not they tried him at shortstop multiple times and he struggled there and they worked him in the offseason a year ago to try to fit into that puzzle once Dansby Swanson was leaving he was blocked at second by Ozzy Albies he's blocked at third by Austin Riley so they were starting to talk about playing him in the corner outfield and I mean he's a second baseman he's not a shortstop but he should hold his own at second base defensively. And really, he's just hit at every stop of the minor leagues at, you know, an age-appropriate level, level to age. Um, you know, he doesn't have a ton of power, but he hits the ball decently hard. He's got good bat control. And a week ago, I was saying, you know, I was a little worried about some of the strikeout targets between bringing in Tyler O'Neill and if Teoscar Hernandez is assigning and Trevor Story, you know, who's going to kind of counteract that. And Grissom has had, you know, in his brief 64 games in the majors has been just around between 20 and 21%. But in the minors, he's had K rates of 12, 14, 14 and a half. And I think that'll be important. You know, he'll probably hit towards the bottom of the lineup to start. Um, and then hopefully in future years kind of works his way up. But, I mean, he was at AAA at 22 years old. He was a monster a year ago, hitting 330 in a 419 OBP. Um, 135 WRC+. Plus. He walked 12% of the time, which is decent. He has a little bit of speed. So we shouldn't expect any power. He'll probably be towards the bottom of the lineup in the first year. And we'll talk about how this affects the rotation and... <laughs> some of the you know the other move that that we've seen in the past week but for this position specifically and for trading sale for a year to get six years in return at second base it you can certainly understand why they would make the move and you know it'll be exciting to have what we believe is an everyday second baseman that we haven't seen in a while yeah i agree with everything you said i think it was uh, a low-key brilliant move by breslow here and just the type of creative trade that um i get excited about i love these types of moves where you know a guy comes in he's not sentimentally attached to chris sale and you know chris sale's been great we we love the guy we wish him the best but um it's a really good move for the baseball team as you mentioned, I mean, this is a guy whose prospect stock was really, really high coming into last year. He definitely struggled in his first little sample in the major leagues uh, in 2023. Um, well, he, he had a short one in 2022 as well, but he was supposed to be kind of like the guy uh, last year. And um, 
You know, he's really interesting. I, I love that you pointed out that he doesn't strike out because that's definitely a good thing for this lineup. Um, the fact that he's right-handed is a really good fit. Um, and the other thing is, like, you look at the back of this guy's baseball card, 6'3", 210 pounds, and you look at him, he's like a really athletic guy, too. It just seems like there's some room for him to eventually grow into his power. And with the Red Sox having so much success uh, developing hitters over the last you know 20 years or so, uh, it just seems like it could be a really nice recipe uh, bringing him here to Fenway. You know, you can imagine his swing working really well with the Green Monster as well. His first Major League home run was at Fenway Park as well. Um, and then projections for next year are pretty favorable for him. He's uh, projected by uh, Fangraphs to have 10 home runs. 60 RBIs, 9 stolen bases, while slashing 285, 354, 424 uh, with a 110 WRC+. So if he comes anywhere close to that and plays passable defense at second base, which I think is reasonable, um, that's a really solid way to fill second base. So uh, overall, I'm just very excited about the player and what he can eventually turn into. And, you know, Sale was just so much of a question mark at this point and um for a team like the red sox that is many pieces away from contending it, he was more of a luxury and he makes a ton of sense for atlanta you know a team that wants to add him to a rotation of other really high-end pitchers like max freed and charlie morton and spencer strider it makes a whole lot of sense for them to go out and get a guy with that type of ceiling um, so it's, it's one of those rare deals that I kind of love for both teams. Yeah. You can definitely see why Atlanta is doing that, especially with the way that the pitching market is right now and what the Dodgers have gone out and done. And sure, they could both win a hundred games and go out in the first round like they did this past year. Um, but you still, if you're the Braves, this is, this is the time you're in that window. You've got these guys locked up for a few more years. But as you said, <clears throat> Freed and Morton to go along with Strider, and then you've got Sale. I mean, there's a lot of injury-prone pitchers that are there after Strider. So the more that they're bringing in, as you know, if three of those guys are healthy in the playoffs, that's a good thing. And then they have some prospects and some pitchers like um, you know Anderson and Wascarinoa, and um, you know pe people in that range that are coming back from Tommy John surgery and things like that. So they'll have that kind of behind them and some opportunities next year uh, to bring some prospects into the mix. But this year, going with a veteran crew and just kind of hoping that three out of those four are available, um, you know, makes sense. Who do you think weighs more, Spencer Strider's right quad or Chris Sale? <laughs> I know. <laughs> We've got the um, – I don't know if this reference is going to land, but we're doing the Irish – uh, wake article for sale tomorrow and i put a picture of that um remember when steve cohen paid 140 million dollars for some sculpture yes it was like this eight foot tall man and weighed like 100 <laughs> pounds so that was the picture of quote-unquote chris sale that i threw in there um <laughs> that's yeah good. i mean i mean i guess that kind of leads into the the chris sale conversation and just that uh, it was a tale of, of two different 
uh, stints in Boston for him and that it wasn't it probably shouldn't have been shocking for us to see him break down in the second half of that yeah I mean we've we've talked about it on the show a number of times we were never uh, in favor of that extension that was given to him and it's kind of a shame that it worked out that way because I think every reasonable Red Sox fan would make the the Chris Sale trade 10 times out of 10 you know it was yep. just it worked out incredibly well for them. 2017 and 2018 were amazing years uh, for Chris Sale, and 2017 especially was unbelievable. And striking out Manny Machado, he'll always be a legend for that and the way that he carried himself here. Um, I think he does get a bad rap with some fans, but I always loved the way that Chris Sale uh, interacted with the media, the fans, the way he carried himself here. I think he was just snake-bitten and unlucky. Um so it stinks. Wish him the best. Hope he wins a ring in Atlanta, unless the Red Sox are, you know, the team opposing Atlanta in the World Series, in which case uh, I hope he loses. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting move because also this frees up between 8 and $10 million bucks. I think it's like $8.5 million um, sending out Chris Sale. They are sending some money. They're sending $17 million out of the twenty seven. Uh, that's due to him, but they're also saving a bunch of money on second base right now. So, you know, uh, Grissom is supposed to just make the minimum. So that, that does good things for the Red Sox in terms of opening them up to potentially make some other moves here as well. Yeah. And, and just to kind of finish up what you said with sale there, I, I was totally in your camp that, you know, I think when he kind of wanted to be accountable when he pitched shitty, it was always like, you know, well, you know, then go out there and do it. Just pitch better. We're trying to he- tired of hearing about it. And for me, it was like, okay, would you rather someone that's pointing fingers or making excuses or David Price trying to fight Dennis Eckersley for criticizing him or something like that? I mean, the guy was a leader and he was accountable and he always gave 100% on the mound. I don't think we could ever feel like he didn't do that. It, his body just failed him and some freak things happened. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I appreciated the accountability, even though, sure, I was equally annoyed that, you know, it wasn't going well for quite a bit of the time after the extension. Yeah, I think it's fair to say we never blamed him for any of that. It was just uh, bad luck, but we wish him the best. Yep. Um, before the Red Sox made this move, they did go out and sign Lucas Giolito to a two-year contract. Um, with an opt-out after one year. So essentially, I mean, you're looking at this as pretty much a one-year deal for Giolito unless he really struggles. Um, But, you know, after trading Sale, Giolito essentially takes Chris Sale's spot at the top of the rotation. They still have a lot of work to do uh, to this rotation, obviously, but can you talk a little bit about Giolito because he's a really interesting guy he's he's somebody who pitched like an ace for three years um you could say maybe a high-end two but really he was fantastic for three seasons and then the last two years he struggled to the to the point where he's looked like a number five a fringy number five starter at times so which guy did the Red Sox end up getting here do they get the guy that you know, looked like an ace between 2019 and 2021, or do they get the guy in 2022 and 2023 that was, you know, almost a five ERA pitcher? Yeah, that's the thing is that, 
you know, trying to have a human element to things, there's a lot of talking about the last two or three months of the season where he was going through a public divorce and he was traded twice and had a terrible last few months. But it's been, a, as you said, a pretty terrible two years now. It's a 490 ERA followed by a 488 ERA. And he was better in the first half for sure, you know, having a 353 ERA. But his spec expected ERA in the first half was 424. You know, he was average to slightly above average in the first half and then just deplorable in the second half and giving up home runs at a, a rate that, you know, is usually reserved for Lance Lynn, and that's about it. Um, as you said, the three years before that, he was a borderline ace. I'm sure the answer is somewhere in between. I, as I said on the, the first pod that we did in the offseason, I wasn't interested in Giolito, so I don't think I can really do a total 180 on that. But conversely, I also said last week that they need to go out and get surefire innings and reliable innings. And, uh, you know, Giolito's thrown 179, followed by 162 and 184, made all the starts in the short season before that. He's really, there's no injuries to speak of in his past. He's going to make, um, presumably, if you go off of what he's done his entire career, 30 to 32 starts. It's just a matter of what those starts are going to be. And... I don't think they have better than a number three starter on this staff at this time. You know, he's probably somewhere in between the ace and the number five a pitcher, you know. he. But the, the home runs have been a problem. The strikeouts have declined. They need to work on his pitch repertoire. And, you know, you've seen, I think it was Lance Brozowski, who's a great follow, did a, a really good thread about kind of, you know, whether they can introduce a cutter and, adjust his pick, pitch mix a little bit because they can't run back what he's he's done previously. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This this doesn't get me overly excited. I compared him to Luis Severino thinking that they were in the same tier early in the offseason. Severino got $13 million. Giolito got 18 I think the difference between the two pitchers is that Giolito is more durable and reliable to be on the mound. But I don't think they've been a whole lot different um, in recent years. So I guess that's where we disagree um, because I definitely had him as firmly a tier three guy and I didn't even have Severino on my tiers. Um, I, I value this part of the game quite a bit, the, the staying on the mound, the, you know, giving the innings. And I, and I see why Breslow went out and got a Giolito because when I look at the rotation for the Red Sox right now as it's currently constituted, you've got Giolito, Bayo, Pavetta, Crawford and Houck, and out of all those guys, I mean, probably just Bayo and Pavetta you can really uh, bank on a, a lot of innings out of, and I think even, you know, with Pavetta, we kind of know what those innings are going to be, and with Bayo, it's kind of like he's still a young guy, so you don't want to truly bank on that, and I love the idea of a guy whose who's floor is basically Nick Pavetta, right? Like, that's that's basically Lucas Giolito's floor, um, which is obviously not ideal, but the the upside here is is pretty immense. And I think there were just so many guys that the Red Sox have had in the past few years that were kind of the opposite of this. Guys who were going to give you low innings totals uh, and, and be good while they were out there. So um, Or, or bad, too. I mean, that's the other yeah. thing. Well, so, does Nick Pavetta have as much upside as Lucas Giolito does? No. Because in the second half, 
he was that. (laughs) 110Ks in 79 innings. And transitioned to the rotation down the stretch. Right, but he also spent a bunch of that time in the pen. Yep. So, it's like... We've seen Lucas Giolito do it at the highest level. We've seen him go out and have a 5.2 war season. We've seen him go have a 4 war season. So that guy is potentially in there. I just like the way that Craig Breslow is thinking about this um, because Craig Breslow is clearly thinking about reliability and guys who are going to take the ball every fifth day and... um, you know, I like the upside play here. I'm not saying I love it. Uh, I still think there's a ton of work to do, and I don't think this solves your ace problem at all. But uh, there is a world where Giolito makes it back to being like a solid number two and stays on the mound and pitches oh, for like sure. that. So, like, if that happens and you go out and address it and get an ace, like, okay. You know, now Yeah, no, and and I could definitely see that. Do you think that they have a better starting rotation than they did in October when we were sitting here talking about this? I think, I think they're in the exact same place and we said at the beginning that they need two two starters, which we're not gonna get. I mean, it seems unlikely at this point. But I just think they're in the same place and, and I do agree with the sale deal. I think it was a good move in the long term, but I think their rotation for 2024 is no better today than it was at the start of the offseason. I think it's marginally better. Okay. Uh, only because I see more durability in it right now than it had before. Yep. Um, because, you know, last year we were talking about guys like Sale and Paxton being in this rotation, plus Hauk, plus Crawford, like plus all these other guys. Um so I think there's a little bit more stability in it, but you're right. Your overall point is correct. It is not that much better at this point. These pitchers they probably are, need two high end starters, right? Like we've been saying all along. Yeah, yeah. And, and and all these guys are right handed too. I don't know how much that matters to you if you're someone who prefers lefties. I actually think it's totally fine for Fenway Park. I think it's a tougher park for left handed pitchers, anyways. Um, so I don't mind the fact that it's all righties at this point, but yeah, they did all right when like Pedro and Schilling were on top of the rotation. So as long as it's good pitchers, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, Breslow has been pretty vocal about, uh, the fact that, you know, he, he's willing to trade both prospects and major league talent in order to address pitching. Uh, He talked about that a little bit. He said, you know, specifically called out high-end prospects as you know guys that he might be willing to trade um it seems likely that if he does go down the trade route one of Sedan Raffaella, Willier Abreu or Jaron Duran could be on the block and you know if it's the right deal for a young controllable pitcher potentially even Kyle Teal, Roman Anthony or Marcelo Meyer uh could be on the way so what I wanted to do was talk about what some of those potential controllable young starting pitching targets could be um, and kind of how attractive they would be based on the skill level of these players in the years of control. But before we get into the actual names, Bob, how likely do you think it is that the Red Sox do swing one of these trades? And do you think it's more likely now that they've shared up second base 
and that they went out and got, you know, a reliable innings eater in Lucas Giolito. I do. I, I thought it was likely before. Uh, I think it's even more so now, as you said, they've kind of addressed other weaknesses that they had. Um, and then when you hear that they're really not in on the top of the starting pitching free agent market and spending 20 to $25 million per year, um, we we did about an hour last week on whether they should be or not and how we feel about it, so we don't have to rehash any of that. But since they're not, then I think they have to go the trade route. And Breslow, as you said, has mentioned training prospects, that they're going to need to do that. I feel like he's got the guts to do it. We've already seen some deals that, that we didn't see from the last guy. I think that there is more of a chance of kind of, you know, as – we're saying these are not his guys. These are not his prospects, not his major league team. He might look at certain players differently. And I'm expecting a trade for, even if it's just a number two starter, I'm expecting some sort of trade for, um, you know, probably a number two starter type of range in the next couple of weeks. And hopefully higher than that. Yeah, I hope so as well. Um, I'd like to see a trade happen, and I'd like to see them add one more arm, potentially via free agency, even if it's a lower-end, higher-risk guy like um, James Paxton. But what I did to create this list of guys is I kind of went through all the different rosters out there uh, for teams that may be willing to trade pitching based on uh, kind of having a surplus of pitching or where they are in terms of their uh, building process. Um, and I came up with a bunch of names. So here they are. Uh, for Tier 1 guys, I came up with George Kirby, who is going to be a free agent in 2029. Logan Gilbert, his Seattle rotation mate, free agent in 2028. Jesus Lazardo, free agent in 2027. And Justin Steele from the Cubs, a free agent in 2028. Um, so let's just talk about that first tier a little bit. Obviously, all of these guys would come in and slot at the top of this rotation for the Red Sox right now. Out of these names, who do you like the most? And which one of these strikes you as kind of the most likely target for the Red Sox here? I like George Kirby the most, and talked about that last week plenty. But just you know, the, the someone who who th will throw a ton of innings and not basically not walk anybody, um, ace potential, locked up for five years. That's pie in the sky. Would pretty much give anybody in the system for George Kirby. I just don't see it happening. Um, Logan Gilbert. Minor step down from that. I would put him and Jesus Luzardo kind of in the same next tier. I think it's more likely that Luzardo could get dealt. And you've seen his name float around a little bit. He's got three years rather than four or five like those Seattle guys. And to me, if Breslow is looking for controllable starting pitching, I think three years qualifies for that. Um, I think Luzardo is kind of bordering on somebody that is probably a number two, but could be an ace at some point, has shown signs of that. He threw 179 innings last year with 208 strikeouts. He's 26 years old, um, has good control, and can get strikeouts. 
I mean, this is somebody that is trending up and has already showed, you know, he had some injuries earlier in his career, but now has that 180 inning season under his belt. Um, and just, you talked about righty versus lefty. Does it matter? No, but then, you know, you've got your lefty kind of power arm that showed durability last year to go along with Giolito. And then if they add someone on the, uh, on the uh, lesser free agent list to go with that, I would be okay with that. So Luzardo is kind of the name that is not the top of my list that you put here, but I think is most attainable and still just 26 years old, even though he's been around for a while now. Yeah, I agree with you that Luzardo is the name that jumps out to me as being the most attainable. I think the other thing to look at here is not just the, the three years of control left, which obviously makes him a little bit more attainable than a guy like Kirby, but also the fact that uh, the Marlins and the Red Sox have talked trade in the past, and it's been something that they've been willing to do in terms of uh, shopping some of their young starters, and we all know how good the Miami Marlins are at developing pitching. They've also got another young guy there in Yuri Perez who's you know, going to step into that ace slot for them. So it's definitely a position where they could move a guy and still be okay, and you know, Lazardo has kind of everything you could possibly want in a young pitcher. As you mentioned, he strikes a lot of guys out. He's a lefty who throws 96, 97. Um, and over the last two years, he's been excellent. 3.32 ERA, 3.58 ERA, and showed that he could stay on the field. So I love that name there. The, the guy who I think is a little bit of an off-the-radar target, because everybody's been talking about Kirby and Gilbert, and we kind of know what those guys are and why they're so attractive, but Justin Steele is a name who I threw out there. He's 28 years old. He's also a lefty. Um, Breslow is obviously familiar with Justin Steele from being with the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs, to me, are in an interesting position because they are a bit in no man's land. Uh, they won 83 games last year. They're not, you know, they haven't done anything this off season to really improve their roster at all. So I think this is a name who could potentially be available. He's also a starter that only has two pitches. He's a fastball slider guy, which is a little bit unusual. Um, Breslow obviously is extremely familiar with how the Cubs value guys because he was coming from there. So I thought that, that could be an off-the-radar name that they could potentially go after. I think it's it's less likely. Um, in terms of how likely these names are in, in Tier 1, I'd probably rank it Lazardo, Gilbert, Steele, Kirby, um, just because I think you'd be crazy to part with Kirby. Um, it's hard for me to imagine that happening. But, you know, just curious your thoughts are on you know, those points, who, who do you think it might be at least attainable out of this group? Yeah, I think the way you ordered it is fine. I I don't quite agree that the Cubs would make that deal. I feel like they kind of had a meltdown in the last two weeks of the season. Yeah, they just won 83 games, but they were a playoff team all year, and I think that they're kind of... I'm surprised they haven't done anything, which... You're right to point out. I think that they will. Um, but I just feel like they are they kind of think that they're entering their contention window. And Steele has really just thrown two 
seasons, um, two full seasons. So he would have what four years of control left, and is twenty eight. I just I don't see the Cubs who are entering their contention window either this upcoming season or at the latest the year after um, would make that move after you know, Strowman's leaving in free agency. I just think there'd be a glaring hole in the rotation if they did that. So um, they might, you'd think that they're in no man's land. I, I just think that, that especially after last year, they might be closer to uh, a playoff spot, or at least they believe that. Yeah, and I yet think... Seattle is too. So I mean, with, with Seattle, it, that hasn't made any sense to me either. So it's not like this is a crazy concept. But with Seattle, there is a lot of st- they have a full rotation of young starting pitchers and may want to deal one for a, a different position that makes more sense for the roster build. Yeah, those are all very fair points. I think it's always hard to imagine, especially as Red Sox fans who have been a bit tortured by our inability for our franchise to develop young pitching. Like the idea of wanting to move one of these guys is just so foreign uh, to, to me. Um, and so it can be a little bit hard to imagine. Uh, let's move on to the other tiers that I have here. Uh, I, I have in tier two of trade targets, Braxton Garrett, another lefty from Miami. He's going to be a free agent in 2029 um, in Dylan Cease, who we've talked about on this show, he's going to be a free agent in 2026. And then in my tier three, I have Bryce Miller from Seattle. He's going to be a free agent, I believe, in 2030. Eduardo Cabrera from the Miami Marlins again, free agent 2029. Brian Wu from Seattle, free agent 2031. Uh, Trevor Rogers, free agent 2027 from Miami. And then the last guy here on the list, a guy who I'm not super interested in, but I think is an interesting name to some degree, Mitch Keller, who will be a free agent for the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2026. So out of those uh, guys who are outside of my tier one, are there any names that stand out to you as being either guys who you'd really want to see the Red Sox get or guys who you think are a little bit more attainable uh, in realistic. Well, in terms of who I'd want to see them get, I, you know, we've talked about Dylan Cease plenty. He's got two years left. Maybe that's not enough for long-term control. Bryce Miller, same story. Seattle, young pitcher, was a rookie last year. I mean, I love the guy. Um, you know, he needs to develop a third pitch, but his fastball is just awesome. I mean, he's one of those kind of huge spin rate pitchers um, that was, I think, kind of maybe played an infield position and then ended up going to pitcher and then just shot up the the prospect rankings and kind of hit the ground running when when he came up last year. So Bryce Miller would be certainly of interest. I don't know how likely it is that they trade him. I'd say I'd be a little more interested in Mitch Keller than you are. It was funny that there was a suggestion of that. on over the monster at some point during the off season and the pirates fans were not too thrilled with that concept of trading Mitch Keller. I think that goes along with another situation where that's the, the only pitcher that they've developed or really had as a quote unquote ace there, which he's not, um, you know, he's probably in that number two to number three range. He had an awesome first half last year. Um, I would be fine with bringing in Mitch Keller uh, and, and he has thrown innings and had 210 strikeouts a year ago, even though it went with a 4-2-1 ERA. You know, maybe he's 
kind of in that Giolito tier, so it might be a little bit redundant. But I don't mind Keller. I love Bryce Miller. I would love Dylan Cease still, even with two years. Um, but no, these are all interesting. And I know that there's been a lot more helium with Braxton Garrett. And the more I've looked into him, the more I, I understand it. I mean, there's kind of... He hit a wall late in the season, but there's strikeout upside. And I always kind of thought he was like a number four, number five pitcher, but he showed some signs of breaking out at times last year. Yeah, I mean, as a fan of guys who truly go out there and pitch, Braxton Miller is one of my favorites, as well, or Braxton Garrett, I should say, is one of my favorites because, like you mentioned, the stuff is not overpowering. He's a 90-mile-an-hour fastball guy, but he's got an elite slider, throws a cutter, uh, throws a curveball, change-up. I mean, he just kind of has the kitchen sink out there and pitches his ass off. So he would be a very interesting guy. Um, he's probably my favorite outside of those other guys. Uh, I think Dylan Cease probably has the the biggest upside. Um, you know, we've talked about that on past shows, just thinking about that raw stuff being harnessed here by uh, Craig Breslow um, and his, his staff could be really interesting. But, you know, uh, these are all names to watch. I think it's these are all realistic. I'd be surprised if the Red Sox trade for a pitcher and it is not one of the names on the list we just read out. Yeah. Um, it's a great list that you put together and you really kind of mine through all the different rotations throughout the, the league. Edward Cabrera, we haven't talked about a whole lot. And, it, you know, I've just kind of following Cabrera and, you know, our fantasy teams and all of that and he's a frustrating guy to roster in fantasy because you know he doesn't always go five innings for the win and he gets hurt a lot and that would just be my only concern there the skills are there but I just I can't put him in that top tier of trade targets he's almost in that like James Paxton range of like how reliable he is even though I know the upside is immense so that just might be more of like a project over a year or two to, to just see like you know is this somebody that can can give you innings for the first time and then maybe the second year is somebody that that takes off because you know looking at last it was 108 innings two years ago it was 129 last year between the minors and the majors I just don't think that you can really trust that he's going to be a 200 or close to 200 inning pitcher someday um, and he has had a lot of control problems you know his walk rates are 14 15 percent um, I don't know. There's just kind of too much injury and control concern with Cabrera. I, I would put him towards the bottom. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, he, he's one of these guys that you look at him and you're like, well, this guy throws hard. He's 6'5". He should be a horse. And He's, he's got like no not... hit stuff when it's working. Yeah, exactly. Um, but with the bottom of this list, guys, the guys like Cabrera, Wu, Rogers, and Keller, to me, those are guys that you're not including any of Teal, Meyer, and Anthony uh, to get right. those guys. Like, those are just, there's too much risk in terms of either the stuff not being um, amazing for some of these guys or them not being able to stay on the field for others. There's just, there's warts with some of these guys. I'm curious, though, 
because you mentioned that you really like Bryce Miller, would that be somebody who you put in the Dylan Cease, Braxton Garrett tier, or would you still have him because he's kind of only got two pitches right now down with those other guys in tier three? I'd, I'd have him in that top tier. I, I think that he has like significant breakout potential. Okay. Um, And I know that we don't have a whole lot to go off of, but... You know, he was drafted in, I think he was drafted in either 21, maybe, and pitched a little bit in the minor leagues in 22, but he threw 153 innings last year and has like a, a major fastball um, with a high spin rate. And yeah, it, it's two pitches, but he became a starter late uh, in his career, Not in like a Jacob DeGrom kind of moved from another position and is still kind of learning to pitch as he was going up through the minor leagues. And I think that he was expected to be at AAA for most of the 2023 season. Then he was up in May. So, you know, even though it's a 460 ERA, it was just a 117 whip. His expected numbers were a little bit better than that. And I just think that he's the kind of guy that if you add a third pitch, that I, I think that, that he's still evolving, even though he's 25 years old. I think that a year or two from now, he could be, if he puts it all together, he could be uh, like a, a real monster. Those are certainly the traits that Breslow looks for in a pitcher. So that's probably a name to watch. I'm probably a little bit low on him right now. And, and Miller and Wu were both drafted by Seattle in 2021. So guys who made it really, really quickly to the big leagues. Yep. All right, so let's talk about the, what the rotation would look like if they do trade for one of these guys and then go sign a guy like Paxton. So let's just say it was something like Lazardo, Giolito, Bayo, Paxton, and Crawford at the in that rotation for the Red Sox. Would that be a rotation you'd be confident could compete for not only a playoff spot but for the division? No, not the division, but I think that that can be a playoff team, yeah. I think so, too, and I think that that's doable. Um, That's absolutely doable with the farm system that the Red Sox have and with the way that Breslow is talking about shopping some of these guys. So it's going to be really interesting to watch. Uh, Any more thoughts on the rotation before we move on to a couple of the other guys? No, I... uh... I still think Garrett Woodlock will be in the mix, but I know you don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, we can move on. I think he's going to be slotted in as a a fireman this year. He's going to be a hell of a fireman this year. Um, So another scenario that I've been seeing a lot of people mentioning on Twitter, and I'll call out Chris Cotillo for uh, being the one who's kind of driving this narrative a little bit more than anybody else, but... It's moving Kenley Jansen, who is in the final year of his $16 million contract in order to free up some cash. You know, maybe that's getting a prospect for him or, you know, maybe including him in a deal to get one of these starting pitchers. Um, But what this might do is it might allow you to free up some money to sign somebody like Teoscar Hernandez as well. Um, Originally, when we had talked about this, I was... A little bit hesitant because of how bad the bullpen was before we locked down a closer in Kenley Jansen. Um, so I like the idea of having him and Chris Martin, but I've been warming to the idea of potentially making T- Tanner Houck the closer um, 
and and uh, you know freeing him up so you can go out and make one of these other trades that we've been talking about. So, what do you think about moving Kenley Jansen at this point? I don't like it. I um, it just brings me back to twenty twenty two, and I think there's very little room for error. And I I just I, I don't understand this freeing up cash. Where is that cash going? So they're, according to the uh, Red Sox payroll Twitter account, right? They're at 201, and the competitive balance tax is 237. So who knows? There's reports that, you know, they didn't want to go over 225, 230 a year ago. Are they not going to go past the competitive balance tax, or is that just a given at this point? Do we think that that cash is going to go towards a Bayo extension or a Cassis extension or starting pitching. Like why do you need to free up 16 more million dollars right now? I don't understand that. So let's just put it this way. Let's just say that they do have a cap of, let's just say the budget's the same as what Chris Cotillo said it was in 2023, 225 million bucks. And let's also pretend that this is not a hard cap. Like this is, a cap that's giving them eight to ten million dollars of wiggle room for the team to see where they end up at the end of the year in case they want to make any moves at the deadline. That trade of Kenley Jansen would allow you to do all of these potential things, including signing a James Paxton, um, trading for another pitcher, signing a Teoscar Hernandez and potentially even locking one of those younger guys that you mentioned up to an extension and all being able to stay under that. So I think what it does, and I'm not arguing for having any of these budgets because you know how I feel about John Henry's money. I would love to see him spend it recklessly. But I think what it does is it gives Breslow more wiggle room and I think they've built a good enough pen right now, and I especially like a lot of the off-season acquisitions that have been kind of low-key, the Isaiah Campbell, the Justin Slatton, those types of guys who I think are higher upside um, arms. I think there's more options in the bullpen than there has been in the past. So it's an area where I could see them dealing from a strength perspective. Yeah, I, I don't like it at all. <laughs> and, and and I know Hulk had eight saves in 2022, and there were nights that he came in and just dominated, but there were other nights that it was a heart attack and a four-run lead went down to one pretty quickly, and then he escaped. He's You know, he's got three and a half walk per nine in his career. I, I do think that Hulk can be a really good high-leverage reliever and putting him with Martin and maybe Whitlock's there and you know, some of the other names that they brought in, I think that's fine. I, I just wouldn't want to go into the season with just him as the closer because he's just too volatile. You know, he had a really good stretch that year, but there's just too much volatility for me. And I know who Kenley Jansen is. I know he's going to have three or four blowups that are going to be irritating, but he's also going to go out and have 35 saves on a if it's a winning team. No problem. I mean, he didn't pitch in September last year, and he had 29 saves on a shit team. So, um, I don't know. I I liked the Jansen move when they brought him in. Um, there there are days that he's frustrating, but 
at the end of the year, I think that you're usually happy with Ke- what Kenley Jansen brings. And there's just too much uncertainty for me to move him at that point. You might just end up needing to trade for a closer. Because Chris Martin, he's great, but he should be the eighth inning guy. He's got a handful, I think single digits, career saves. Yeah, I don't like Martin uh, transferring to that role, especially at this point in his career. I would want to go with one of the young guys and either Whitlock or Hauk. Let me just throw another thing at you. And I know you don't like the move, so I'm not going to convert you here. But <laughs> let me let me ask you, how many wins do you think this Red Sox team right now, as it currently stands, would be able to get? Like, what's a realistic total if they did nothing else to the roster? What do I think they'll get, or what what's realistic on the high end? Like... This current roster as it stands today, what's realistic on the high end? 82. Okay. Do you need a $16 million closer on an $82 million team? Or an an 82-win team, I should say. If they go into the season with this rotation, then we riot. So you need (laughs) a $16 million closer behind a staff that has two better pitchers and that's worth about eight wins. And then you're a, a 85 with the chance for 88 win team potentially. Um, I get what you're saying, but it, I just, I, I can't fathom that they're going into this, into the season with this as their rotation. I get it. I get it. Um, but I think we'll agree to disagree there. I'm, I'm a little bit more okay with it. Um, all right, that about wraps it up for us. Are you ready to move on to questions, Bob? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, we only got one email today because we forgot to send out the bat signal uh, on Twitter. But uh, TJ McPhee asks us, uh, why do you think the Red Sox didn't show more interest in Lourdes Gurriel? Uh, happy holidays. So Lourdes Gurriel signed back with Arizona. Um, why do you think that the Red Sox were not more interested in him? It's interesting. So he signed for three for 42, which is kind of that what we were hoping like Soler might sign for, a little less than what Teoscar will go for. It's a good question. You know, I... I didn't really when when you gave kind of the listed names a few episodes back. I didn't mention him. Um, I actually thought he was a lot older than he is. He was just twenty nine this past season, so he's entering his thirty year old season. Twenty four homers, eighty two RBIs, seventeen point four strikeout rate. I mean, he's a really solid player. Um, it's a good question. I think that he probably would have been a decent fit and should have been part of that like Soler, Teoscar, Justin Turner conversation that we were having. I, I, I think he deserved to be in that. And maybe you mentioned him in that, but I didn't originally have him in that tier. But looking at him again, I mean, he's good player and uh, still kind of at the back end of his prime. Yeah, I, I, um, I see why the Red Sox didn't have interest only because, and I don't disagree with you, I think he's a good player. But I think the where the where he differs from Soler and Teoscar to me is just the raw power. As a right-handed hitter, he's a bit more of a contact guy. 
Uh, he had his career high in home runs last year at 24. He's really more of a average hitter than he is a true power hitter. Um, mm-hmm. And he's not a very good defender. So I think that the Red Sox just simply preferred the profiles of a lot of the other guys who are available um, over Lord Escuriel. And uh, obviously, he had a lot of success with Arizona. They made it all the way to the World Series. So it kind of makes sense that he wanted yeah. to go back there as well. What happened the year before? 493 plate appearances with Toronto in 2022. He had five homers. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's just That's, a huge outlier because yeah, he really seems weird. like a 20 to 25 home run guy except for that one year. Yeah, I agree. It is strange. Well, that's it. That does it for our episode, Bob. Uh, you writing anything at the site you want to plug? Um, well, we're doing the uh, uh, nice little farewell to Chris Sale that I think is going up on Thursday. Nice. So a few of us wrote that, and then uh, I don't know. I got to get something in probably on Friday. So maybe I'll start thinking about that tonight. All right. Well, I got to think about it too because I don't have anything in the pipeline yet. But yeah, get out there. Um, please uh, follow us on Twitter. You can follow Bob at BobOzGood15. You can follow me at, at DevJake. Thank you for listening to the show. If you liked it, please subscribe to it and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Wherever you listen to us, it does help us and helps us in the algorithm. So uh, please go ahead and do that. We appreciate you listening. We'll be with you again next week. Thank <laughs> you.